No Junk Mail Presents The Trading Post, Chapter 12 Read to you by the author, James R. Von Felt Day 8 Continued Gray Hair sat there looking up at us. We spoke and the other Indians moved close to him. He spoke some more. It sounded like he was giving orders. The younger Indian responded. And then he walked to the side of the camp circle, picked up a bow and a few arrows, then returned to where we were standing. Another Indian touched my arm, gave me my spear and walked away, as if to lead us somewhere. Still another Indian who had been sitting with gray hair followed him. Billy and I looked at each other, shrugged, then followed. About a thousand feet from the hunting camp, we came out of the woods to the beach. We easily found our footprints in the sand, as well as the footprints of the Indian who had left us before. We turned east following the tracks. The two leading us had their bows, arrows, and hunting knives. It was mid to late afternoon, according to the slight shadows of the trees. We were walking fast, making our way back to our camp and the rest of our group. Finally, we came to where the raft had beached. The footprints and skid marks were made as we dragged the logs out of the water. They were still visible. As we approached the woods, we saw the Indian who had left before. He was lying on the ground, almost hidden at the edge of the beach. He was watching Daryl and Alex. They were sitting on the sand with their back towards the pile of furs. Alex had Inu's rifle across his lap. We didn't see the pistol. We found out later Daryl had stuffed the pistol under the pine boughs of the lean-to. We walked by the Indian lying in the sand and went up to the clearing. We hollered a greeting to Daryl and Alex as we went. They saw us and waved. Then their eyes grew large as they saw the Indians with us, but they didn't say anything. The two Indians stayed at the edge of the camp circle, but we walked right up to Daryl and Alex. We told them we had found an Indian hunting camp, but we had not found Inu. Billy walked back to the Indians and gestured for them to come into the camp. I saw the hidden Indian get up and start running back towards the Indian camp. The other two Indians followed Billy into our camp. I pointed four fingers in the air and pointed to each of us boys, and then I raised three fingers and pointed towards the beach. Suddenly, I noticed that Daryl didn't look good. When I looked closer, I saw his shoulder bandage was covered with blood. His wrist was still in the cast Enu and Philip had made. Daryl tried to stand up. He wobbled, then fell over into the furs and passed out. Alex didn't even try to move. He was hot and as white as a sheet. The wounds on his chest were swollen, red and hot. From the little we knew, that meant infection. The wounds had not been attended. We left the other side of the lake yesterday. We could see we were in more trouble than we had known. The Indians talked among themselves. So Billy and I tried to talk to Alex. Had he seen Philip and Looney? Had he eaten anything? Alex mumbled something, but we couldn't understand him. Things were not looking good. 
As Billy and I were talking about what to do, one of the Indians gestured at us, then gestured back to the Indian camp. Billy and I couldn't leave Daryl and Alex here. I motioned to all four of us, and the Indian nodded his head. Then he circled us, touching each one of us and pointing back to the hunting camp. Billy and I thought that plan was a good one, but how would we get Alex and Daryl there, and where would we get medical help? The Indian seemed insistent that we all go to his camp. We all finally nodded our heads. Both the Indians started working. At first we didn't know what they were up to, but then it dawned on us. They were making stretchers for Daryl and Alex. When they looked for poles, we caught on and helped. We used the poles from the raft to make stretchers. We found enough rope from the remains of the raft to tie the support sticks in place. The Indians took the cougar skins off the top of the fur pile and put them on the stretcher frames. We had working stretchers. Daryl came too about the time we finished the stretchers. We helped Daryl and Alex get on, and then we headed back to the Indian camp. An Indian carried the front of Alex's stretcher. I carried the back. Billy helped the other Indian carry Daryl's stretcher. Daryl kept going in and out of consciousness. We put the rifle on the stretcher with Alex. Before we left, I made a simple message in the sand for Philip and Looney, pointing in the direction we were going. I also wrote the word pistol in the sand and drew a line pointing to the lean-to. Once we got to the beach, we walked as fast as we could, but walking fast in soft sand while carrying someone is hard. We didn't take any rests and went as fast as we could. Billy and I were breathing hard to keep up with the Indians. My shoulders and arms ached. As we went, the wind from the south picked up and the waves came up higher on the shore. I wondered whether or not our footprints would be washed out by the waves. We were walking close to the water's edge because it was easier to walk on the firm, wet sand and we would go faster. It was nearly dusk when four Indians ran up to us on the beach. When we met, we all sat down and rested a bit. Then they took up the stretchers and we walked alongside them. We were tired and relieved to let them take over. It wasn't long till we were almost running to keep up with them. We made it to the camp before dark. Before we left the beach, I found three big driftwood pieces and shoved them deep in the sand as markers to show the place where we turned and went into the forest. I put them in a row, so if you could follow the line they made, it would lead you straight into the Indian camp. We wanted to make sure when Philip, Looney, and Enu came looking for us, they would find us. Grayhair was standing by one of the three all-night fires that were being built up around the sides of the camp. The small cook fire was in the middle of the camp. Grayhair pointed to a place near the cook fire. The Indians laid the stretchers down. He called to an Indian who came to him. They looked at Alex and Daryl lying there and talked a bit. This Indian was shorter than most Indians, but he was broad-shouldered and strong. He had a headband. It had a single feather hanging down on his long black hair. We decided to call him Long Hair. Daryl was semi-conscious. The Indians laid him and the stretcher on the ground. 
Longhair went over to him, got on his knees, and looked him over good. He studied the bloody makeshift bandage in the cast on his arm. When Longhair lifted Daryl's arm, Daryl cried out, but he didn't jump or cry. Daryl said something that Longhair seemed to understand. Daryl was out of it and not making sense. Part of what he said was English, but part was not. Bit by bit, long-haired Dr. Darrell, taking his shirt and bandage off, examining the wounds, inspecting the cast on his wrist. Longhair called out orders, and two Indians helped him. They knew what to do. One went to a lean-to and returned with a pouch. The other got a metal pot out of a saddle pack. He put water in the pot, along with some powder from Longhair's pouch, and heated it over the cook fire. Others helped build up the fire to make the pot and contents hot. Longhair cleaned Daryl's wound with the hot liquid, then sprinkled a fine white powder on it. He had something that looked like fine curved stickers, which he used to pull the edges of the wound together. Daryl was out of it and didn't appear to feel pain when the wound was treated, closed and bandaged. The last thing Longhair did was wrap Daryl in a sling of brown, hand-woven material to keep his arm and shoulder from moving. When Longhair was done working with Daryl, he turned his attention to Alex. Alex had been watching everything Longhair had been doing to help Daryl. Looking at Alex, Longhair pointed to a rifle on Alex's lap, then pointed to himself. Alex let one of the Indians who was helping Longhair pick it up and take it to Greyhair, who then inspected it. Longhair unbuttoned Alex's shirt. When he took the shirt off, we could see dried blood all over his chest and the scratches and holes where the cougar's claws had gone in. The puncture wounds were swollen and red and oozing pus, and they looked bad. Longhair cleaned around the wounds, using part of Alex's shirt dipped in boiling water. When the area was clean enough, Longhair spoke, and an Indian came to him holding a knife and a pot of hot water from the cook fire. He put something in the water, then stirred it with the knife. The knife blade had been heated up. It sizzled when it hit the water. You could tell that Alex wasn't looking forward to this. He rolled his eyes. Longhair took the knife and pressed the tip into the first wound. Juices and pus came out. It hurt. Alec flinched and bit his lip, grabbing the sides of the stretcher just as hard as he could. Longhair did the same treatment with each of the punctures, dipping the knife into the pot and dribbling some of the mixtures into the wounds before moving to the next. Although it must have hurt like crazy, the most Alec said as he grimaced was, "'Stings!' Long hair sprinkled white powder on each wound. Then he put thick brown stuff, like pine sap, on top. The last layer was what looked like dried leaves and ferns. Long hair then wrapped a bandage made of hand-woven cloth around Alex's chest and put his shirt back on him. The shirt had been cleaned, then dried by the fire. When long hair finished with Alex, both boys looked better though I know they were hurting bad. They were still lying on the stretcher. An Indian brought a deerskin for each of them as a cover. Another Indian brought food and water to them, as well as for me and Billy. 
We sat next to Alex and Daryl, breaking their pancake into little pieces and feeding it to them. Billy chattered away like a magpie, as usual, but Daryl retreated inside himself, as we had often seen Philip do. Alex was also quiet, and it seemed like it was a big effort for him just to chew his food. While Longhair was busy treating Daryl and Alex, the camp was busy, too. It dawned on me. The Indians were stacking their deer skins in piles. Billy noticed it, too, and said, They're getting ready to leave. Nah, I replied. It's too late to leave. Maybe tomorrow morning. After talking some more, we agreed that it looked like the Indians were a hunting party from a tribe up north and that they would be returning with the deer meat and skins. As we sat and chatted, we didn't notice that the forest around us had turned pitch black. When the Indians' work was done, they sat in small groups and chatted for a while, then crawled into a lean-to for the night. All was quiet except the night sounds in the woods, the night birds, the wind in the trees, the horses shuffling and stomping, and the occasional pop from the fire. The Indians had set up a watch for the night. There were two Indians who maintained the three all-night fires. They kept the fires going and moved from fire to fire. I don't know how long their watches were. Longhair slept nearby and kept an eye on us. Billy and I dozed from time to time through the night, but we woke up whenever Daryl or Alex made a sound. We talked in a low whisper and explored all kinds of things before we dozed off again. Where had Eno gone? Had he drowned in the lake? Had he made it to shore? If so, where? Why had he stayed with the log instead of swimming for the raft like Billy? Had Philip and Looney found him? And why hadn't they been with Daryl and Alex when we got back to the camp? We were talking in a low whisper, occasionally feeding a small log or stick into the fire. Our minds raced back and forth over the events of the last two days. The camp at night was eerie. Eventually, Billy and I laid down and dozed off again. Story continued on Chapter 13.